Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. I'm Mark Feinsand, executive reporter for MLB.com. Welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. And before we get to our discussion with Zach Rosenthal, we'd like to remind you, erectile dysfunction is more common than you might think. 52% of men over 40 will experience ED at some point, and about 75% of those men don't seek treatment. That's why Roman makes it easy to get expert treatment from a U.S. licensed physician all online. No judgment, no hassle, no hours spent in the waiting room. With Roman, you get expert medical care for ED right in the comfort and privacy of your own home. Everything is online, so it's convenient and discreet to contact a doctor about prescription medication. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com major and complete an online visit with your medical history and symptoms. A licensed physician will evaluate your online visit and let you know within 24 hours if medication is right for you. If prescribed by the doctor, Roman delivers genuine medication right to your door with free two-day shipping. Just go to GetRoman.com major to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com major to get started with a free online visit. That's GetRoman.com major. Zach Rosenthal began his baseball career on the business side of the operation, first interning with the Boston Red Sox before becoming an account manager with the Oakland Athletics. He moved to the baseball side in 2006 after joining the Colorado Rockies as an intern in player development before getting hired as a baseball operations assistant and assistant general counsel. Rosenthal worked his way up the ladder in Colorado's front office, first as director of baseball operations and ultimately to assistant GM. I sat down with Rosenthal to discuss his time with Dan O'Dowd, the team atmosphere promoted in the Rockies' current front office, his memories from the Rockies' run to the World Series in 2007, and much more. Enjoy this conversation with Rockies' assistant GM of baseball operations, Zach Rosenthal. Zach, you grew up in Monterey, California, where a San Francisco Giants fan. Was baseball always your number one sport? Yeah, it was. It's, uh, it was the number one sport in my household with my, you know, my dad, my mom. I got two little brothers. Um, all of us, uh, you know, big baseball fans, uh, pretty much forever. That was it was the sport I was best at growing up. Um, it's also just I think the one that we all enjoyed the most watching, and you know, as a family, a lot of time at Giants games and at Little League games and, and all of that. So yeah, always baseball. What was your playing peak? Oh gosh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> early, <laughs> really early. Um, I've got uh, a terrible knee. Uh, I stopped playing baseball um, my junior year of high school, so um, 
so right around right around there probably is when when I was at my. That's good. At least it lets you know early in your life that you're not destined to play in the big leagues. Right? Oh, I knew well before that. I wasn't <laughs> playing in the big leagues. Yeah, that wasn't going to happen. I just enjoyed it. Yeah. You uh, you received your bachelor of arts in mass communication at Cal Berkeley. Got your mm-hmm. JD at Boston University School of Law. Go Terriers. That's right. Uh, Master of Science in Communication from BU's College of Communication, where I had graduated from as well. Nice. Uh, was a career in baseball always the goal, or were there other aspirations as you were getting those degrees? No, that was that was kind of my hope. Um, I thought that, you know, after undergrad, I didn't have what I thought I needed to do something like this. Um, and so law school was always something in the back of my mind. My dad's an attorney. Um, I always kind of admired how his brain worked and, and the way he looks at the world. And um, he told me forever to never be a lawyer and to never go to law school. Uh, so I didn't really listen there. But um, yeah, that was that was the intent. Um, you know, when I graduated from college, it was about you know that time all the Moneyball stuff was going on and there was just a lot of talk about different opportunities for people potentially and um, you know I just thought that that kind of an educational background could be helpful that's why I did that dual degree program too at BU uh, because I thought that the communication piece of it with kind of a slant towards sports could be you know really useful in this job and maybe help me make some contacts and really just enjoy it a little bit more than a typical law school experience so um, you know that, that that was definitely the goal I was going to say, the, the Moneyball era living in Northern California was probably even more prominent there than anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, we you know lived all of that you know that was going on there in the Bay Area, and it was, it was fun to watch. So, um, yeah, definitely had an impact. When, uh, when you graduate college, a lot, of, a lot of people who want to go into baseball who end up going to law school end up thinking, oh, maybe agents. You know, a lot of agents have law degrees. Um, there's not a whole lot of you know, people in baseball with law degrees, uh, did you have a specific thought in your mind of sort of what path you wanted to take, or were you just saying, I want to work in baseball and I'll figure out sort of where I fit? You know, honestly, if I had drawn up kind of the dream job, it's it's this. I mean, it's kind of this responsibility that I have here. Um, I hoped to kind of uh, do contract negotiation, um, get into the arbitration world. You know, I really... I like baseball stats, you know, I always did when I was a kid, even, you know, growing up, I did a lot of that, that stuff that, you know, sitting around and, and playing with different metrics and trying to create my own metrics, even during law school and, and college. And, um, you know, it's even though I was a lawyer who's not supposed to like numbers, uh, that was something I was always passionate about. So I thought kind of just combining all of that together and um, learning how to how to analyze problems and, you know, have that skill set that was kind of the that was the hope right was to to do something like this billy bean was probably one of the first sort of nationally or universally known baseball executives mm-hmm. were there any as you were growing up and, and thinking you wanted to get into the game were there any executives that you kind of admired from afar that that you thought you know, were particularly uh, good at their jobs or that you you know it's it's funny it, it, you and i were talking about this before we started like i i don't think i knew a whole lot about you know who was running these teams um my dad uh, had done some agent work when I was a kid, um, but it was a different world when he was doing that. So, you know, there in the he back of my mind, three hundred million dollar contracts. <laughs> no, but he, he told me the other day that he he thinks he probably should have stuck around in that game because he would have done better. Um, but uh, you know, he had he had some some San Francisco Giants, he had some Golden State Warriors, he had a couple Forty ers um, and you know, again, it was a, a totally different kind of universe that he was operating in. A lot of times. You know, his negotiations were with owners or with, you know, even club presidents. It was just a different setup. Um, So I didn't know a whole lot about it, but I was always interested in the concept of it. And when it became a little bit more 
public um, and it seemed like there might be different types of opportunities. I just I was excited about that and figured I'd try and give it a shot. So having some Golden State Warriors now would probably be a pretty good business. That would be a good business, <laughs> yeah. First time in our lives we've been uh, able to be excited about being Warriors fans. So how did you land your first job in baseball? So I started really, I mean, my first job with the team was during law school with the Red Sox. Um, I, my uncle knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy type of thing. Um, Larry Kankrow over there at, in Boston um, hired me as an intern for the summer after my first year of law school. Um, and I was lucky to kind of stick around over the next couple of years. And, and they were they were great. I was there when that ownership transition happened, um, which for somebody young with my background was was awesome because there were people doing different types of jobs that they hadn't done before. There were a lot of people that needed help and I got to just get exposed to a lot of different things. Um, so I was bouncing in and out, you know, kind of part-time here and there over those two and a half years, um, which was great. I got exposed to a ton on the business side, um, nothing on the baseball side, but I met a lot of people and I learned, you know, a little bit about the business. And that was kind of the first, the first real, you know, I mean, it's exciting, right? Like, I'm, I'm in my early 20s, and I'm hanging out at Fenway, and, you know, that, that part was cool. So it, it was a, a really good entree to see what that lifestyle could be like. You ended up working for the A's as well, mm-hmm. right, as an account manager. Yeah. So your first couple jobs in baseball were all on the business side. Right. Did you think that would be the sort of the path you were going to take, or was there this thought in your head that I want to get on the baseball side? Yeah, the hope was always to get on the baseball side. Um, the You know, working in Oakland – that was, um, you know, I, I got, again, just a, a good timing situation. Um, selling tickets, though, in, in the East Bay uh, those years was, was tricky. Um, the team was good, um, but, you know, it, was it wasn't... Like the tail end of the Giambi Tabata yeah. era. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, you know, I didn't... It wasn't what I wanted to do long term, but, you know, I wanted to be in the building, and I wanted to, to see that part of it. I always kind of thought in the back of my mind that if, if it ever worked out that I got onto the baseball side, having that experience um, would be good. I... I I think that's absolutely true. I mean, the perspective I have now when we when we trade a, a Troy Tulowitzki or a Matt Holiday, and knowing what it feels like to be, you know, on the other end of the phone calls trying to sell tickets after something like that, um, you know, it's I, I keep that in the back of my mind because I've I've been there and it's hard. Um, but I I enjoyed I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it was definitely kind of the way to get to get in and, and see how things. Uh, unfolded on the business side, and, and I met a lot of people along the way that that helped me, you know, eventually get here too. So, 2006, you joined the Rockies as an intern on the player development side. You finally right. get your, your your foot in the baseball door. Uh, you're then hired full time as a baseball operations assistant and assistant general counsel. Um, did you, at any point, the, the legal part of it mm-hmm. was that just sort of like, hey, look what else I can do? You know, I, I'm not just I can't just work in your baseball ops, but I also have this legal background that that you know sort of makes me a more attractive candidate kind of a thing yeah so that was that was the job um that i was offered i mean it, internship in in 06 um towards the end of the year uh, dan o'dowd sat me down with um, hal roth who's our general counsel and they essentially said look we both need some help here um, we could use some help on the legal side you know the business side of the building and dan said you know i could use some help with contracts and arbitration and um, you know, we didn't have an analytics department back then. I mean, we're talking now, you know, the fall of 2006. Um, and so it, that was really the, the offer was, look, if you're willing to do both, um, then we got a job for you. So, um, again, you know, kind of I, I believe very much in, like, the diversification of, of skills, and I like to learn. And, and I just thought that that was a really good way 
I mean, first it was a job, right? And that was, that was kind of the goal, but, but I knew there would be really good opportunity to learn, um, there. So yeah, I got exposed to a ton about how, how we run our company, um, which I think is going to serve me well for the long term. You were promoted to director of baseball operations. You did that for five seasons. That role tends to have a pretty broad job description. What was your favorite part of that job? I like the I like that every day is a little different. Um, you know, one of the great things about how we're structured, you know, I I'm involved in, in all kinds of stuff, budgeting and payroll and uh, roster management and the rules part of the game. And um, but probably, I mean, my favorite part is negotiating contracts. I love I love salary arbitration. I love that process of like the intellectual piece of the puzzle of taking kind of that that part of your brain and applying it to baseball stats is is fun um you know there's frustrating pieces of it obviously and and it's it's maybe not the best system in the world in terms of relationships with players and um all that but just the the challenge that comes with even that part of it right maintaining relationships and building relationships and understanding that you know kind of the the big picture of it um i really enjoy that it's it's a lot of work and um, you know, who knows how long that system will be in place. Like, you know, I'm sure at some point this whole thing will be changed, right? Because that's at some point it was established in the first place. But, um, but yeah, I, I really like that. And I like I like overall just kind of being all over the place and, and being able to help people when that opportunity is there and interact with, with really our entire organization. And that role kind of, that's where I got introduced to that. Um, there's a, a pretty broad strokes there in terms of what I was supposed to be handling and what I could be involved in. Um, and so it was a really good entree to, to kind of what I do now, too. You mentioned contract negotiations. In this age of technology, are most contract negotiations just done via text until you finally finish it up? Or how, you know, do you sit in a room? I mean, obviously, I'm sure the GM meetings, the winter meetings, you actually sit in the room right. with the agent. But how has that changed over the years that you've been involved well, it used to be there were a lot more phone calls, um, a lot more face-to-face. I think the first few years that I went to the winter meetings and stuff, there were a lot more meetings uh, face-to-face. There's, there's a lot more texting now between clubs and um, more communication that way. Um, but when it comes to a lot of these contracts, we typically, at least for us, our club, we, we try to do as much of that as we can, um, either on the phone or in person. Um, there's something to at least talking to the person and trying to get a feel for what's important to them and, and understand that all of these deals that we do are intended to be, you know, a two-way street, right? Everybody should win here. I mean, these guys are going to come play for us, um, so we want everybody to be happy, and it's just a matter of figuring out, you know, how, how to make that work in each uh, individual case. You mentioned arbitration as well as being something you like. Most people have never been in a salary arbitration hearing. What is that like? You know, it's it's interesting. It's different. Um, it's its own little bubble, right? I don't think anybody else does anything like that in the world. Um, you know, it's it, it's strange in a lot of ways too, um, knowing that you're sitting across from a player with whom you have a relationship and and talking about their value. Um, you know, our our goal and and really our philosophy is that if we believe in you know our number and you know we end up in a room which we don't very often. Um, but if we have to, we, we will, um, you know, we do it respectfully and we, we try to, um, really just state some facts that are, are really important. It's not about attacking the player or making it personal. It's about just understanding that, that there's a business piece to what, what we all do. Um, and you know, the, um, I've presented 
the last couple. Um, and, you know, there's an, an intellectual challenge there that I enjoy. Um, I mean, it's hard to, to put that together and I have a great group of people that help me with that. Um, but the actual presentation itself and being in that room, um, there's a challenge to it just, you know, to, to do a good job and try and be convincing and, um, be persuasive and all the things that, that I spent time trying to like learn in law school. I mean, you asked about that earlier, that that's what I focused my studies on in law school is doing as many like moot court and mock trial type things, anything that would force me to be on my feet talking and answering questions. Um, and that translates to that. So, and I enjoy that stuff. I mean, I, I, it's nerve wracking, but I enjoy the challenge of it. Uh, in your second season with the Rockies, they went to the World Series. Yeah, that was fun. first and only time in their history. Yeah. What stands out to you from going through that run? Uh, it was so much fun. Well, what really stands out to me uh, is that I got married during the NLCS that <laughs> year. Um, because honey, we're going to Boston <laughs> for our honeymoon. That's right. Because uh, you know, with about a month left in the season, when we, my wife said to me, "Hey." Uh, should we send these invitations out because we've committed to this place, you know, and we had the place reserved before I had the job and the whole thing. And, you know, we were, I don't know, nine and a half, ten games out with, you know, not very many left. And I just remember her calling me every like series going, dude, you guys keep winning. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, but we'd have to go sweep the Dodgers down in LA and the Padres don't you? I mean, come on, the odds of that. And then we just kept doing it. And um, the night before we, we left to go to our wedding, we were supposed to leave after, the day after the wedding, go on our honeymoon and all that. And my wife looked at me and said, dude, I'm canceling our honeymoon. We got to come back here. Like, you got to be here for the NLCS and the World Series. So, um, so that's what we did. And then we went on honeymoon a few weeks later. So she, uh, we got indoctrinated to the baseball life very quickly. Um, but the baseball part was fun, too. Uh, you know, we, it, was, it was incredible. It felt like every night we just felt like you were going to win. Somebody was going to do something. Um, and it was going to be somebody different every night and the guys just stepped up and there was this crazy belief that somebody was going to get that big hit um and it was just i mean that that game 163 was probably the most exciting game i've ever been a part of um it was really cool and the fans in denver when we're when we're good and we're winning and and they're coming out to support games like that they're they're amazing um it, it was really fun i would also imagine that as a front office whatever your role is once you get to that point there's nothing more you can do, right? You've put the team together. You've put the team on the field. I guess if there's an injury, you have to worry about replacing a guy on the roster. But it's not like you're making tweaks to your team or trying to – at that point, you just get to sit back and watch and, and be a fan like everybody else. Yeah, sit back and be nervous, right? right. Yeah, Like exactly. everybody else, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. I mean, you in this job, you know, we have to start thinking about the offseason too. That's tricky, that little balance, right, because you don't – you know, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself and you're focused on, you know, tonight's game or tomorrow's game or whatever, but you also have deadlines that are going to be coming up and, and going to the postseason is awesome, but it, it does shorten your, your postseason, you know, off season uh, kind of calendar a little bit. Um, and so you're trying to balance those two things, which, um, which is good. It's a nice distraction at times too, right? To, to not be thinking about what's happening at seven o'clock and instead be thinking about what's going to happen in, in a month. Right. Chances are you're not worrying about like a manager search if you're in the World Series. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Most of the time, anyway. Most of the time, yeah. uh, Dan O'Dowd was the GM in Colorado during yep. your first nine seasons. What was the biggest thing you learned from him? Um, he was incredible about giving uh, young people opportunity. Um, you know, he, he challenged us um, and gave us opportunity to do things that I think 
Um, most most GMs don't. Two people with with that kind of experience or that inexperience is probably a better way to say it. Um, and he allowed us to make mistakes. You know, he 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 really put us out there, and he would say, "Hey, go go handle this." And you know, it was kind of up to us to figure out how to best handle it. Um, and that is a really incredible way to learn. Um, made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, not always fun to deal with those, but. Um, it's really a, it was an incredible educational experience in, in baseball. I mean, I, I think there's a reason that there are so many people in this game that work for him that are out there running teams. Um, and there's a bunch of us in this building that, that he hired as well. Um, most of us actually. And so I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's, you know, he was, he was really good about that. And it's something we've tried to, to remember and keep in mind so that we can do the same thing. Do you remember the first time that he told you to go do something and you thought in your own head I'm not qualified or ready to do this yes yes very much um I won't use the name um but he asked me to write an email uh to another GM on his behalf um for some trade talks that he had been having um outlining the financials of it and you know a bunch of stuff that honestly like the panic in me when he asked me to do it was like through the roof right um (laughs) And and I looking back, I'm like, gosh, I, I can't believe. I mean, I was still an intern technically. I'm like, I cannot believe he asked me to do this. Um, but that's the way he was. He he trusted the people that he hired, and and he used to say that all the time. Like, you know, I'm not bringing you in here to sit here. I'm bringing you in to to do something. So figure it out. Um, and and we did. <laughs> and you know, making mistakes is the best way to learn. Um, and sometimes that's that's kind of how we had to do it. When Jeff Breidich came on as the new GM, you were promoted to assistant GM. Your bio lists the following as your responsibilities. Contract matters, player transactions, payroll management, salary arbitration, statistical analysis, major league roster oversight, rules administration, advanced scouting, as well as team operations, daily budgeting, capital expense management, and all legal matters involving the baseball operations department. Um, How do you sort of stay on top of that many different areas and feel like, I mean, obviously you've got staff doing a lot of stuff, but you still need to sort of stay aware of everything going on. How difficult is that when you have so many different areas of a club that you are, you know, involved with? Uh, it's it's difficult. Um, I have awesome people that I work with. I mean, you know, Dominic DeRico, who's our director of baseball ops, and and. Trevor Patch, who's our director of research and development, and Jamie Hollowell, who's our manager of research and development, and our clubhouse manager, and our you know Tyler Hines is our, our you know runs our food program, and um, you know everybody everybody that we work with is really good at what they do, um, and they are capable of of running their areas on their own, um, and so really for me it's about just making sure that um, you know. We're, we're headed in the right direction kind of overall. Um, but that's what I was saying earlier. It's one of the things that I love about, about this role is that there are so many different pieces of it. Um, learning, you know, the, the budgeting aspect of it and the, you know, helping to manage our payroll and, you know, those kind of big picture things, but then also getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, helping to manage issues that come up, um, in different spots, you know, in the, in the clubhouse or hiring a chef, right. Which I mean, I don't think I was ever qualified to help hire a chef. <laughs> uh, I like food, but um, it, you know that—that's the key, right? Is having really good people that are capable of, of doing a heck of a lot. Um, and you know, we—we've been a smaller staff over the years. We've grown over time, and so a lot of the stuff that 
you know, the hands-on stuff that I used to do, a lot of the research, specifically in the analytical side of things, you know, I don't do a lot of that anymore, and I'm okay with it, um, you know, it's because I have people that are a heck of a lot smarter than me that can do it, um, you know, and so that's, that's the part that I think is most important, is we've hired really good people, um, most of them have been young, people that we've been able to train and, and really kind of help grow as Rockies, just like Dan did with us. Um, and that's not an accident either. Um, and so we, you know, I guess that's the way to answer the question is the, the only way is that there's good people that are, that are really good at what they do and, and willing to ask questions too. Um, and I'm willing to let them kind of get out there and, and learn and make mistakes also. And that's, that's important. Um, so, you know, we work well together. There is a, there's an immense amount of trust in this building, um, between all of us, I think, you know, I can't speak for other front offices. I, I haven't worked in them, um, you know, on, on the baseball side anyway. Um, but the trust factor here is is really, really, really high. You know, people aren't trying to get each other's jobs. They're not trying to, you know, to do anything other than the right thing for the Rockies. Um, and when you know that everybody's doing that, it makes it really, really easy um, to to tell people, hey, go handle this and, and take care of that and know that, that they're going to at least – be viewing that challenge or that problem um, through the right lens, which will help them make the right decision most of the time. As you've moved up the ladder in baseball ops, <clears throat> excuse me, you've remained the assistant general counsel mm-hmm. for the club, um, assistant with business matters, litigation, other legal issues. How much of your time is devoted to the legal side of things? So that's changed a little bit. Um, you know, when up until uh, Jeff took over, um, I was doing a lot more on the on the business end, um, legal stuff. And then when Jeff took over, it was it was more of a okay, we're going to transition where I'm I'm fully in the baseball department. The legal part of it now is um, really only those issues pertaining to you know the baseball department. So if there's any legal matter that has to do with what we're doing on this side, that usually ends up you know in my office. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's a percentage that's probably fairly low, um, depending upon what you want to call a legal issue, right? right. If arbitration and contracts are legal issues, then sure. it's, it's higher. Um, but I'm, I'm not doing a whole lot of the business end, you know, uh, for many years, for those first nine years, I helped with sponsorship contracts and a lot of the corporate stuff, um, you know, releases for, you know, people coming on the field, you know, little things like that. I, I'm not doing any of that anymore. In 2015, you were quoted about your front office as saying, we're very open to brainstorming. We bounce things off each other, and we argue a lot. We make sure we have explored every side of the coin. Are the decision makers usually in line with each other's thinking? Do you find yourselves on opposite sides a lot? Obviously, Jeff gets the the tie breaking vote, yep. I would assume. But how, how you know how, how do you guys? Some GMs have said told me that they like bringing in people that they know aren't going to agree with them, so right. they can know they have the other side of things, and everybody's not just going, "Yeah, you're right." How, how are you guys in terms of? Uh, sort of your approach is there is there usually a you know common you know, so thought? so jeff uh, myself john wiles zach wilson who are the the other two assistant gms and we spent a lot of time together the four of us i mean a lot of time together <laughs> um, our wives spend a lot of time together our kids spend time together right we are very very close um which allows us to be very honest and, and to disagree and um jeff likes that I, I think it's a good thing we all like that we try to make sure that at some point in the conversation somebody brings up the other side of the coin and plays the, the devil's advocate position even if we all agree um, 
And, you know, when one of us disagrees with the others, it, it can, you know, it's sometimes hard, right? But, um, and it can get a little, you know, people can get passionate because we all care. Um, you know, the one thing we all promised each other was that regardless of how we feel in a situation like that, at the end of the day, whatever that decision is, we're all going to get on board. And, you know, it's no one else in the building has to know who was on what side of the fence for something like that. We're all in alignment with the decision. And um, I wouldn't say that we're always on, we are always aligned. I mean, we all have different perspectives on what we what we value and how we look at things. And, and that's one of the great things about our relationships, too. Um, I think if we all did see it the same way, it would be, it'd be easy, but I don't think it would be as effective. The Rockies had not been a big analytics team under Dan O'Dowd. You guys began utilizing them a lot more once Jeff took over. After the 2016 season, you guys really bolted up your analytics department. How much of a catch-up game was there uh, sort of in, as you saw, other teams really taking that step forward in trying to, you know, sort of get with, yeah. the, get with the rest of the pack? Or we a did. lot of the other parts of the pack. Not, not everybody was there. Right. We did a lot more than we ever talked about, even under Dan. Um, and that was, you know, we, we don't talk a lot. We, we keep things, I mean, as you, as you found out, uh, you told me before we started talking, um, that's not an accident. It's just kind of our, all of our personalities. Um, we also don't think there's a, a huge benefit to telling everybody how we're going about those types of things. Um, we definitely beefed some things up, um, because technologically there were some things that we wanted to be able to do in house as opposed to using some people outside our building. Um, I don't know, it's hard for me to say how much of a catch-up game, though, because I don't know exactly where everybody else is. I know that we're never going to be able to hire the number of people that some of these other clubs are able to hire, um, you know, but I think one of the one of the things that I always worry about anyway, even with our staff, and one of my, what I see as one of my biggest roles in the analytics area is filtering data, filtering information, filtering ideas. There's There's so much out there, and I think one of the things we do best is communicate with our players and with our staff about those types of things. So when we bring an idea to those guys, it's been vetted and it's, it's ready to roll and they know we're not just throwing a bunch of different things at them. We, we bring to them the things that we think we should implement and that are very important to us. And I think as a result of that, we tend to get those things implemented. I mean, it's very rare that we bring some idea to, to buddy or even to a player and have them say no. Um, I think that used to be the case. Um, I was going to say, in the last five years or so, that's probably changed a lot more. Yeah, and it's for a, a bunch of different reasons, but part of it is because of how we approach it. Um, I learned a lot when I was younger here, and I I brought things to people all the time. I mean, anything we could come up with, I would just, you know, and Dan was very, Dan was like, great about that. Hey, go run that down to Clint or go give it to, you know. And it's uh, it's changed in that we've learned, I think, a little bit more about being focused on on how to go about implementation because really look we could have a huge staff but if we if we can't implement it who cares right so um that's probably been one of my biggest focuses um and i think we are catching up we have i mean the group of people that we have doing that type of work um they're all they're all extremely intelligent um they're very very creative um you know, we focused on hiring people that i feel like can talk to the players and to the coaches I don't want them to just sit behind a computer all day and write code. I want them to be able to express ideas and answer questions and be conversational and understand baseball. And so it took us a while to get to a staff that 
we felt like kind of fit all of that. And, and our hiring process took a lot longer than I think we hoped. But it was because we were looking for a very a very particular type of person with a, a particular type of skill set. Um, and so it's been it's been great though. I mean, the stuff we've done in the last twelve months is is mind boggling to me. It's really cool stuff. Tell me all about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in 2014, Bill Guybet revealed that the Rockies were computing their own version of war. How, how do you even approach that type of project, or was that an overstated uh, goal? Uh, no, I mean he's right. We were. Um, I don't know. I think you go about it by just figuring out what you value. Right. I mean, it's it's probably not different than anything anybody else is doing. You could call it war. You could call it whatever you want to call it. It's just a way of um, identifying, you know, what what type of player you know we want to bring into our mix and helping us figure out who those guys are and how valuable they are to us. Um, and our situation is different than a lot of situations um, because of where we play, um, but also because of a lot of times just what we're looking for to supplement our roster. So. Um, I would imagine every team has something they look at. Um, you can call it whatever you want. Um, but, you know, our own version of war is just us. You know, when you think about the baseball reference war, fan graphs war, and if any of the people who created those are listening to me, I, I apologize for what I'm about to say. But, I mean, really, they're, they're, they were created by people just sitting in a room kicking ideas around, right, and coming up with a formula that they think made sense to value players based on their experiences and what they think was important for a player, which is, which is great. There's nothing, you know, but there's some level of subjectivity in every one of these formulas that we all use, right? The publicly available ones, the privately available ones, whatever. Um, and so that's all that was for us was just kind of adjusting some things that we, we thought maybe should be valued more or less, you know, in the game. It's sort of amazing that this number, whether you're using baseball reference or fan graphs that you said was created by some guys kicking around ideas is now, such an important part of the industry. I mean, salary arbitration mm-hmm. hearings, I'm sure, sure. use it you know, plenty, and, and it's it's such a, a widely, you know, agents and their free agents, you know, getting trying to get free agent deals, that something that really didn't exist, what, 10 years ago, yeah. 15? I mean, I'm not sure what year war was introduced, but that now it's such a prevalent part of this, yeah. of this industry. It, you know what? It's just easy to understand. Foundationally, it's easy to understand. The calculation behind it is not say, always easy. The calculation to understand. is not easy right. to understand. But the the concept of of putting one number to every player and allowing you to compare, you know, just in in terms of wins, right? That's something that any fan can understand. You know, one of the things that that the standards that I use and, and my the, the guys I work with upstairs laugh at me all the time when I because this is like my my line is if you can explain it to your mom then you've probably done a pretty good job right so right. or your wife or whomever it is that that doesn't follow baseball super closely and you know I I have had that conversation with my mom because you know it's out there and I think when you can explain to somebody look this is it's how many wins they actually bring to the table like that's that's a concept everybody can get because they know what it means to win a game um so yeah, I mean, it, but it is, you know, it's a smart, it's a smart way of doing things. It makes sense. Um, so it's it's not surprising that it's become such a big part of what we all do. And I, I got to imagine everybody has their own way of doing it too. I can't imagine we're the only ones, you know, fiddling around with with our metrics and you know different ways of weighting uh, skill sets. Wins matter unless you're a pitcher, then they don't matter. Correct. That's right. <laughs> then they're irrelevant. Uh, in 2015, you guys started really using a lot more defensive shifts mm-hmm. than you had. Shifts have become a very polarizing topic yeah. in baseball. Do you think they're good for the game? I love them. Um, but 
I mean, you can, <laughs> I was, I, you know, I pushed that pretty hard um, with Jeff. Um, you know what, I, I like anything that is creative. I like, I like anything that allows teams to uh, try to have a leg up on one, any, one another and, and create um, an advantage if you can do it. I think, I think that's part of, for our jobs anyway, um, that's part of the challenge, right? Like we're trying to beat each other. And, um, you know, I, like you said earlier, I learned very early, I wasn't going to be playing at the big league level. So that's one way that I can, you know, help us actually, um, win games. And so I get why people might want to get rid of it, but I also think that, you know, the challenge is on our players to make adjustments. And we talk about it a lot. If you can't make the adjustment, then why should we have to adjust for you to give you an advantage, you know? And, um, so I'm okay with it um, because, again, it's a, an, an intellectual piece of the puzzle that, that I like. Um, and I think, I think asking players to kind of step out of their box a little bit is a good thing for the game long term. Um, and, and I mean that from an offensive perspective, right, trying to go the other way if there's, if there's a half a field available to you. Um, but also defensively and having players move around and, and do some things that maybe they're not initially comfortable with. I mean, we've seen it with our guys it 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 took some i mean that 2015 year that you talked about was it was not easy with regard to this i mean i remember being on a road trip with the team and just standing in the corner um as we were starting a series and walt was given you know his little talk about you know who we were playing and what our you know overall kind of game plan was for the week and one of the players raised their hand and asked me a question um in front of everybody hey is this actually working you know why are we doing it and you know that there was there was pushback on it there, there's no doubt but you know as I talked about earlier that that trust factor in the relationship with the guys like I felt great that that player who was a very prominent one was was able to and willing to ask that question of me and um and and be inquisitive right I mean that's it's okay I this stuff to to us we want our guys to understand why we're suggesting things and why we're making recommendations so um I like it. I know I just went on a tangent there from That's your, okay. your shifts question. I but, like tangents, um, but yeah, I, I think I think they're great. I, I hope that I hope they're not limited personally, um, but I understand why they could be, and, and I'd be okay with that too. We talked a little before about the idea of playing catch up with other organizations in terms of analytics departments, uh, but now all thirty teams have an analytics department. Obviously, different levels, different number of employees, as you mentioned before. What do you think the next thing is going to be that teams are really trying to dig into? to get that next competitive advantage. Because there was a time where some teams had a huge competitive advantage because they had these analytics departments and yeah. others didn't. I know sports science is an area that a lot of, of people have talked about as sort of being the next potential wave of, yeah. you know, uh, if you can figure out how to keep players healthier or if you can figure out, uh, you know, how to lessen the chances your guys are going to yeah. blow out their UCL or whatever it may be. Is that, do you think that's the next wave? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I don't know what it means. When I say that, right. but but I do think that's the next wave. I think it's the one. Isn't that frustrating? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think that's that's one of the things that we're all going to have to figure out as a group because it's it's good for the industry if we can figure some of that stuff out, right? Keeping these guys healthier is good for all of us. Um, and and obviously, you know, you mentioned it as a, more of a competitive advantage type situation, and it probably will be, but for the for the good of the game you know figuring this out for all of us would be would be really great when the marlins were believed to be looking for potential front office candidates peter gammons mentioned you as a possibility do you pay attention to, to media reports like that when when people are throwing your name around as 
you know, potential interview candidate for this GM job or that GM job? I didn't know about that until well after that was written. Um, and somebody, a friend of mine texted it to me. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess you pay attention to it, right? I mean, that for me, this is a, I mean, I love, obviously I love where I am. I, I mean, I'm working with, with some of my best friends here. Um, personally best friends, right. Who have become, who have become that over the 14 years that we've all been together. Um, you know, but there, there are certain things that, you know, personal goals, obviously that we all have. And I think, you know, the way I've always kind of approached things is, you know, when, when the opportunity knocks, it's probably too late to prepare. Right. So, you know, it's, it's about just trying to learn as much as I can. If, if the right opportunity is ever, ever there, um, I think it's something that, you know, I would obviously have some interest in looking into, but it would have to really be right. Um, and I'm a big believer in just happiness in life and, and being um, in a place that, that you're comfortable and, um, you know, where you can still challenge yourself and learn and grow. And, and, you know, my responsibilities here have grown a ton over the years, and I think they will continue to do that. Um, and that kind of growth and development for me is great. But I do think that all of us want that challenge of, of leading, right? You want that challenge of trying to um, create a culture. And, and the cool thing is I'm, I'm a big part of that here. Um, and so I'm getting exposed to a lot of, you know, because of how Jeff manages um, us, I, we get exposed to a lot of what a GM does, which is, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was flattering. I will tell you that it was neat to see and I, I didn't expect it. Um, and it, it was, it was pretty cool. I will say that. Coors Field was seen as such an impediment to pitchers for such a long time. Hard to sign free agents. They don't want to pitch there. Last year, Kyle Freeland had a 2.40 ERA at home and a 3.23 ERA on the road. <laughs> Adam Montevito had a better ERA at home than on the road. Okay. So you've seen pitchers who have been able to do it. Is the ballpark less of a factor for pitchers than it used to be, or is it still something that you need to contend with? You know, we we think if you pitch, you can pitch. That's honestly how we've always felt. I think I think that people outside our walls make a heck of a lot of a bigger deal about it than we do, um, and that's because. I mean, we've seen guys perform well at Coors Field over the years. Um, it doesn't always get a lot of attention um, when they do. Um, I mean, Kyle probably didn't get enough attention, to be honest with you, last year. Um, he was fantastic. Um, but that's because he's a good pitcher. Um, Herman Marquez was great, right? Um, I mean, we've had we've had really, really good pitchers over the years here. I mean, what Ubaldo did in, in 2010, that first half, was I, mean, I don't know if you can find a better half of baseball for a pitcher. Um, you know, he was what fifteen and one at the All Star break, and I mean, it, it was incredible, right? So we we've seen it. Um, I think it's a matter of um, mental toughness and finding the right guys that understand that. Look, there are little things that may happen um, in our place just because of the size of the outfield, or you know, d- different things that are are um, that may feel different, or you may watch something happen on the field and go, oh, you know, that's a ballpark thing. Um, most of the time, it's really not. It's just that it happens to happen at our ballpark, so people attribute it to the ballpark. But, look, there's an element of it for sure. I mean, I'm not hiding from the fact that it's a good place to hit and a good run-scoring environment and all that. But if you can pitch, you can pitch. Um, and if you understand as a pitcher that you need to get out of certain situations, then you got to get out of them, whether it's at our place or on the road. You know, a bases-loaded one-out spot, a ground ball gets you out of that spot no matter where you're playing. Um and right. I the think, infields are all the same size. <laughs> right? So, you know, it's it's really about our guys knowing that they can do it. Um, we don't talk about it a lot. I mean, and, and that's because I think we 
we truly believe that if we pitch, we can pitch well anywhere. I mean, I think we showed that last year. Um, I mean, this team, we our offense wasn't wasn't great last year. Um, we pitched really, really well, and we were, you know, we had the division in our hands, two games to go, right? And unfortunately, it didn't play out that way for us. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was centered around a really, really good staff and a really great bullpen for for the most part. I mean, we had some struggles in the middle, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was it was fun to watch because it's something that we knew we could do. I think part of it also is that they're all our kids. I mean, these guys all grew up with a goal of getting them to Denver, right? They grew up as young pitchers in our system who wanted to pitch in the big leagues. It was going to be with us. And I think that helps too. Um, that's all they know. And they, you know, they're in here in major league camp, right? Talking to people and, um, understanding that, you know, um, there's, there are guys that have been successful and, and that's a wonderful thing for, for young kids to see and to hear. So past two off seasons, you've locked up Charlie Blackman, Nolan Arenado, mm-hmm. long-term deals. How important is it for the organization and for the fan base to have that continuity of homegrown stars remaining in your uniform for years to come? It's great. It's great. These guys are the Rockies. Um, they're those two in particular. Um, first of all, very talented, right? I mean, everybody knows that. But what everybody doesn't know is is how good of people they are. They are they are really good human beings. People that I think um, you know we are proud to have wearing our uniform and proud to have teaching our younger players how to play the game and showing them you know what it takes to be a superstar um and guys that have that have also really developed at the major league level and both those guys have gotten a heck of a lot better at the major league level and that's because of hard work and dedication and and really a want to improve not being um content with just getting there and being good to go um and that's that's really cool those are the things that for us you know they allow you to feel really good about keeping guys around. Um, you know, looking at age curves and all that. I mean, obviously we know you know what that looks like for players, but there's more to it than that in terms of you know the message you send to the rest of your club and to your fans and and to um, to your younger players about how you know what you value and the type of guys you want to be kind of that cornerstone for you. In the last twenty or so years, the Broncos have won the Super Bowl. The Avalanche have won the Stanley Cup. What would a World Series championship mean to the city of Denver? Oh, man. I can't even imagine. It would be awesome. It would be awesome. It's a really fun sports town. Um, great, great support. I mean, you look at our attendance over the last, you know, 10 years, even the years when we haven't been real good, we're usually in the top 10. I mean, people people love to come out and, and support the team. And, the you know, summer nights in Denver are about as good as you're going to get anywhere you know they're not humid but they're warm and there's no bugs and it's I mean it's just gorgeous and the ballpark um is great and um it would be it would be pretty special I think and I think that's one of the reasons those guys wanted to stick around too um you know for Nolan and Charlie to be hopefully to be a part of that first team to do that and really um kind of put their stamp on on being Rockies right forever I mean it'd be pretty cool Zach Rosenthal, Assistant GM, Baseball Operations, and Assistant General Counsel. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Many thanks to Zach Rosenthal for taking the time to sit down for this week's episode of Executive Access. Coming up in future episodes this season, I'll sit down with DBAC's Assistant GM, Jared Porter, Rangers Assistant GM, Josh Boyd, and other executives around the league. You can search for Executive Access on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google Play, Art19, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and enjoy these conversations all season long. If you like what you hear, leave us a review while you're at it. We always appreciate those. And be sure to spread the word and tell all the baseball fans in your life about Executive Access. Until next time, I'm Mark Feinzett. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.